I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter. I am so pleased to be able to finally bring you the first interview in the series of interviews that I am calling Quilters Like the Rest of Us, and I want to give a big thank you to my guild, Canal Country Quilters, here in Spencerport. Um, They are actually supporting this podcast, not financially, mind you, but they are supporting it um, by some of them have subscribed and uh, become friends on the Facebook page, Uh, but they have also graciously allowed me to interview them. And so I was able to get a number of interviews over this weekend at my quilt retreat, and I'm sharing the first of those with you now. Uh, today's interview is actually what I refer to as a gathering of Sandys. There are at least three of us. We think there's more in our guild that are named Sandy, and it's always been kind of fun. And at this particular retreat, we all ended up sitting at the same set of tables, which has not ever happened before. And so in this interview, the gathering of Sandys, myself, Sandy McWilliam, and Sandy Minnick, are all sitting down and talking together about how they got started in quilting, etc. And I'm using this particular interview for this episode because we did end up talking about color, so it leads us into the rest of the episode. So I hope you'll enjoy. So we are here as a gathering of the Sandys. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Sandy McWilliam. And I'm Sandy Mitty. Okay, and I'm Sandy Hasenauer. Um, we call ourselves the Sandys from our guild or are not a guild, it's a bee. Sandy Minnick, why don't you start out telling us a little bit about how you got involved in quilting in the first place. Something I always wanted to do, I admired the creativity and the color and the patterns. And when I retired from teaching, I took classes from a very good teacher here in Spencerport. And can I mention her name? Mm-hmm. Barb Sackle. Excellent, you know, excellent foundation in, in all the basics of, of um, quilting. And she had us doing uh, hard things right at the very beginning, but we didn't know that. She just said we could do it, and we did it. That's you didn't know it. enough to know that we they didn't. were hard. We didn't. I mean, did the Lemoyne Star, the second class, mm-hmm. I mean, the second series of classes. So that's what got me started. And we met some very nice people, and she started up a bee, which is the bee that we belong to now, although it has changed and, you know. Morphed over the years. Yeah, yeah. It's, it works really well. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Sandy Mack? How did I get started in quilting? Well, I've always been a sewer ever since little. My grandmother was a sewer, my mother was a sewer, so obviously I had to sew too. And um, my daughter and I, Ellen, were very, very close, and my husband was terrified that when she went away to college that I would, like, fall apart. And what am I going to do now? My baby's gone. And so she left the fall of 2000, and so I took my first quilting class February of 2001, and I've been addicted ever since. <laughs> and that's where I met tons of new friends that won't replace my daughter, <laughs> but replace her here because she's out of town. What's your, uh, I'll go back to Sandy Mac, what's your favorite style of quilting? Do you tend to find yourself doing one style more often than another or feeling more comfortable in one style? I probably, I'm happiest in traditional piecing. You know, more the traditional block. I'm not a quilt artist, mm-hmm. um, but I like looking at whether it's all one block that comes out making a really interesting maze or if it's, you know, doing a sampler. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sandy I would be on the traditional side, too. I admire applique. I've attempted it a few times. I would like to learn how to do that better. Uh, I really like the creativity involved in I like to do samplers, too. Um, each block being different and having picked out a whole bunch of fabrics that sort of go together and then being able to pick and choose from them, which I want to use in an individual block, and then trying to balance them with all the other blocks mm-hmm. as I go along. That's the part I like the best. The part I like the least would be um, the binding. And, <laughs> and I, I have not been able to figure out how to do the quilting part of it. Uh, hand quilting is a real 
failure for me. So. <laughs> Not a failure, just long. an opportunity to practice more. <laughs> well, right. Um, but it, for me, it takes too long to do that. I, the, the color part and the design part is the part I like. Okay. And for some people, the quilting is the part they like. Right. Let me pick up on the color conversation because I'm about, my next episode is actually going to be on color. So let's talk a little bit about color. Do you have particular colors, Sandy Mac, that you tend to gravitate towards more than others? Or conversely, colors you gravitate away from? Um, I don't know any that I really gravitate to because um, it just depends on the quilt, you know, and, or, or I'll see a piece of fabric and, oh, I have to have that fabric and then how what goes with it. Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest thing I learned was value. How to use that red lens mm -hmm. to, you know, so that you actually, you see things differently in the fabric if you do that to look through it. So learning the value because that gives the block character. Okay. Are there any colors that you really had to kind of force yourself to start using because naturally you don't particularly like them or? Well, Probably 95% of all the quilts I've ever made in my life, I gave away. <laughs> so you didn't have to live with so your own color choices. I didn't have to live with my own color choices. Um, and so I don't think it was a color I still don't, you know, stay, steer away from because I've done quilts that are, you know, predominantly in black. I've done all the fall colors because Ellen's wedding was fall and our whole house was decorated with <laughs> fall quilts. Um, I've done spring ones and currently my husband's after me to do, so maybe that yellow and green um, Irish chain that I made this weekend. It will hang in our living room for a while because he's after for me to have some things that are spring or fall to hang on the wall. I got fall and Christmas covered. It's spring <laughs> and summer, not fall. Spring and summer that I need some more of. And what about you? I lean away from oranges and purples and probably fuchsia. Those, those would not appeal to me. Um, the purpley colors. And I think Beyond that, it's you know I wouldn't be drawn to a beige or brown quilt either. But in in its in its setting, like you're doing Civil War things, for example, that would be very appropriate and it would blend and it would be harmonious and I would like that. Or in a country quilt with plaids or whatever. Mm -hmm. I am always drawn to the Depression fabrics or pastels on cream. I mean that to me, I just I'm always looking when I see something like that. I just whoop, I'm there looking at that. Mm -hmm. And anything with florals. But I, um, depends on who the quilt is going mm -hmm. to, or what the pattern is like. Okay. When you go to choose colors for a quilt, Sandy Minnick, I'll start back again with you. Um, right. How do you go about choosing your colors, putting those colors together? What sort of thoughts are in your head? Well, we were tr initially taught to get the focus fabric and pick the uh, colors from it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm doing a scrap quilt right now, and I'm doing it because of the colors. And I, the blue and yellow colors, which remind <laughs> me of the lake in summer, you know, and, and good times. Um, so sometimes, and I did something for my my sister-in-law that I, um, I, I, I told you that, right? The porcelain blue, I don't know, the Delft blue, the right. blue, beautiful blue, and sort of a mustardy gold color and white. And I just did colors for the, I didn't have a focus, but we were trained initially to do the focus thing, mm -hmm. which makes it somewhat easier than to get your, just pull them out of thin air. Yes. Right. Okay. Sandy Mac, how do you get your color inspiration? It'll start with which. what's the piece of fabric that I really love. And mm -hmm. it may not end up being the focus fabric, mm -hmm. but it'll be, ooh, that's, I, that fabric I need. And then, then I'm looking for, I need a light, a dark, a medium, you know, another dark, another light, mm -hmm. to, so that when you make all the blocks, they, each one has a story to tell itself. Have, do either of you have any particular books or resources that have been really helpful to you in developing your color sense? Or maybe even pushing your color boundaries a little bit? Sandy Minnick is currently mouthing no at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, trying to, I don't know that there's a book that, I, that I've used. It's been what teachers, the classes I've been in have taught you to look at. And to look to for shows and looking at and what it, you like, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and seeing those, you know, hanging, and you go, "Wow, that's beautiful," you know. Mm -hmm. And then you look at what colors are in it. Mm -hmm. okay. 
Thank you to Sandy and Sandy for introducing the topic of this episode in which we get colorful, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I have a few things I need to go over first. All right, Podquilters, I have a dilemma. I really am committed to keeping these episodes around half an hour or shorter, because I know we keep lots of people company on their commutes to and from work, and the average commute is around 20 to 30 minutes, depending on what part of the country you live in. I am not including Los Angeles in that estimate, but therein lies the problem. I love reading and responding to listener comments on the air, but now I'm getting a whole lot more comments, so I can't really do that and have any content to speak of within a half hour. So I really need your opinions. I've come up with three options for me to move into the future. Um, I'm going to give you these options now, and then I'd like you to respond as to which one you think might be the best solution. Option number one is just to keep doing what I'm doing, keep everything in one episode each week, and don't worry about the time. Option number two is to keep listener comments and my own personal project updates to the barest minimum and just stay focused on content. And option number three is to use the intermezzo. Remember last week I did an intermezzo because I knew I had a long episode coming up. Maybe that's a model for what I can keep doing in the future. So option three would be to use the intermezzo as a way to do listener comments and my personal project updates in one episode. And then I would do a separate episode another day or two later with just the content. And that way, those of you who love listening to the personal stuff can have both your cake and eat it too. And those of you who can do without the personal stuff and really just want the content can skip one and just listen to the other. Uh, So those are the three options. Let me know which one you dig. Uh, Let me know that at sandyquilts at gmail.com. That way you don't have to make your opinion public if you choose not to. And again, sandyquilts is spelled sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. For this episode, I'm just putting everything in there. We'll see how long it goes. Um, First of all, I have a fun announcement to make. Robin won the charm pack. Woohoo! My first giveaway. That was fun. Uh, So Rob and I will be mailing that off to you. Hopefully it might even be in the mail by the time you hear this podcast. I've gotten a few other comments on the show blog on the quilter.podbean.com blog. Suzanne of Australia. Australia! Here's a shout out to the Global Village. Woohoo! Suzanne commented on episode 007 in which we get scrappy that she also can't find a whole lot of information on the scrap master ruler and would be interested in knowing more. So again, if there is anyone out there who's familiar with that scrap master ruler and can give us a review, please do. Meanwhile, Suzanne, if you do decide to go ahead and get yourself one, please review it for us. I'd love to definitely check that out. Frances commented on episode 009 about creativity, that she does want to do the creativity exercise, but has some other projects to finish off first which I want to say, where are your priorities, Francis? Anyway, uh, she did say, the picture you've posted is pretty dang provocative. It inspires me to visions of art quilts in which I do amazing things well beyond my capabilities. Um, Francis, I think you're probably capable of more than you think you are. And by the way, everybody else, there's going to be a little bit more about Francis later. Colleen posted about episode 009 that get over yourself was the best piece of advice, and she needed it. Hey, any time. I frequently tell my kids to get over yourself, but it tends to be with a slightly different inflection. (laughs) I'm happy to say it more nicely to you anytime you need me to. Virginia also posted about episode 9, and she gave a great metaphor that just cracked me up. She said, I'm a little behind in listening to this episode. It's like arriving late to church and everyone turns around and looks at the newcomer. (laughs) That's, That's a good one, Virginia. Lindy commented on episode 10, the interview with Beth Davis, quilt appraiser that she hadn't really thought about having her quilts appraised before now, but after listening to Beth, she's thinking twice about it, and I would really encourage you to do that. Having your quilts appraised is not only fascinating, but it's helpful not only for you, but for future generations. We have a couple of new entries on You Know You're a Quilter When. Scientific Quilter, another great podcaster, contributed, You Know You're a Quilter When. You drool over your friend's new dress only because the fabric is one you would consider using in a quilt. Or you want to go up and talk to a stranger to find out where they purchased their shirt so you can go and buy it for yourself for your stash. Thank you, Scientific Quilter. I think we've all done that. We become fabric junkies. And Lindy said, You Know You're a Quilter When. You get to work and see threads inside your pantyhose. (laughs) And I'm thinking there's a backstory behind that one. 
All right, a couple of comments from the Blogspot blog. Remember, again, there's a quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com. That's my actual blog um, where I keep track of my own projects, etc. The other one is really just for the show notes for this episode. New listener, Tanya, yay, new listeners of Yellow Line Design, left a comment on the Quilting for the Rest of Us blogspot.com blog. And I really want to give you thanks for your very nice words about the podcast, Tanya. That's always nice to hear. Tanya agrees that the fear factor of cutting up fabric can be a stopper. All right, everybody, just do it. Just start slicing and dicing. That's what fabric is there. It's there to be cut up. I've also posted a couple of additional posts at the quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com blog. One is the update on what happened at my quilt retreat last weekend. A couple of you were asking. And then I'm also posting some um, blog entries about my experimentation with Lutridor. You get to follow along. If you've never heard of what Lutridor is, go ahead and go to my blog spot and check it out. I have gotten a couple of emails again. I love, love, love getting emails. Thank you. It gives me something to read on my lunch break from work. Susan from California. Also mentioned the connection between colleges and quilt shops, if you remember way back when. That was like episode three or four. I don't remember which one, where I had my daughter on college tours and had developed a theory that really the only good colleges were those that had good fabric shops nearby. Um, And Susan recommended another school for me and my daughter to visit. Uh, due to the proximity of a fabric shop. Susan is a brand new quilter who discovered quilting through a little blurb about fatquartershop.com in the Martha Stewart Living magazine. Fatquartershop.com is one of my favorite places to shop, so go for that. Um, Susan made her first bag in January. And she said, so that is where I fell in love with fabric. I wouldn't call my one small plastic bin of fabric a stash per se, but I love looking at it. Okay, everybody. Start warning Susan about multiplying fabric. It tends to get away from you. But I do have to say this brand new quilter is off to a roaring start. Since January, she's completed the bag and apron and throw quilt and is working on a tote bag and already scheduled to take a machine quilting class, which may have actually already happened by the time I'm recording this. You go, Susan. And by the way, Susan also agrees with me on the Bollywood music thing. It's definitely good for exercise. Knitting Mother emailed me to let me know that her 12 and 10 year old daughters are big fans so here's a shout out for the girls woohoo i love the fact that i'm popular with the middle school and the pre-middle school set a whole new demographic now girls you are definitely used to having homework so i am going to give you some you are to make something quilted and send me pictures Okay, I want to share those on the blog. All of us quilters absolutely love inspiring the next generation. So, you know, do your little part to make us happy, please. Thank you. I do also need to respond to another comment. It has been suggested that I might talk a little fast. Now, no, do I? Okay, so I'm a fast talker of a sort. But then, to be honest, most of us from my parts are. We don't think we have an accent, but the reality is that we're talking too fast for anyone to hear it. To be more serious, I do normally temper my speed much better, but I am trying to keep the timing of this podcast to the length of the average commute, like you know. Um, I've already talked about that. I'm still trying to get used to how much or how little content that allows in that time frame, and as I do include listener comments, that makes it even a little bit tighter. So, yeah, I probably do speed along a bit. I do also get speedier when I'm tight on time for recording, too. I only have windows of opportunity where dogs aren't going to be barking and kids aren't going to be banging on the door. So I do tend to speed up when I know I've got a time limit on me. I will try to get better about that and slow it down a little. I do have to admit, though, to the person who made this comment, that I was really rather pleased to hear that you were actually interested enough in what I had to say to stop and rewind to try to catch it. So you actually gave me a compliment in the uh, critique of the speed of my speaking. So thank you for letting me know that. I will try to slow it down. Um, Can't guarantee it'll slow down a whole lot. Um, Again, I am from western New York. We talk fast up here. Um, Vivian sent me another couple of quotations about creativity that I wanted to share. If you remember, Vivian had sent me some before, and she sent me a couple more. These are just wonderful quotes. Uh, She and I have continued to have a great email conversation about this topic, and I really want to say thanks so much, Vivian. I, I look forward to getting your emails as well. As I've always said, I love getting the feedback and feeling like this podcast is truly a conversation rather than a monologue. In any case, here are the additional quotations. Helen Kelly 
recently deceased, was a longtime column contributor to Quilter's newsletter magazine and a book author, and she was also a 2008 inductee in the Quilter's Hall of Fame. She said, I do not think of myself as a timid person, but beginning anything new takes a certain amount of grit. Anything that one cares deeply about is usually scary. I think that's very, very true. So thank you to Helen posthumously for giving us that quotation, and thank you to Vivian for sharing that. The second quotation is from quilt teacher and author Mary Story, who, by the way, I follow her blog. She's got a very nice blog. I would recommend it. Uh, She was speaking in 1994 about the challenges facing quilters in the next century, and she said, and that would be, by the way, this century that we're living in now, she said... I believe one challenge quilters face is to avoid becoming overwhelmed by the possibilities that can lead to frustration and burnout. The growing choices of fabrics, notions, classes, shows, and conferences should be viewed with anticipation, not apprehension. I see no reason for students to agonize over their projects when they should be enjoying the process. My advice is to lighten up. One should strive to do her best and improve with each project, but those goals should be balanced with pleasure and satisfaction. So thank you again, Vivian, for sharing those quotations with us. Keep them coming. I enjoy getting them. Alamosa Quilter told me she's participating in the Creativity Challenge, and then she gave me just a little teasing hint of what she might be doing, but she refuses to tell me any more. Unfair! Okay, I'll wait, but it's going to be tough. I do want to ask, is anyone else doing the Creativity Challenge? There's two or three of you that have told me you might be doing it. So uh, let's get some more out there. I'm working on mine. I'm telling you right now, mine is in process. In Big Tent, remember the Big Tent Quilt Cast Supergroup? And then if you join that, you get to join the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup. And there's a link right on the show notes to this episode, to all the episodes. In the Big Tent group for Quilting for the Rest of Us, I started a conversation. I asked the question, how do you perceive your quilting, your own quilting, not other people's quilting, your own quilting? How do you perceive your own quilting as an art, a craft, or a hobby? And I'm getting some really interesting responses. And the reason I posed this question is because I haven't entirely figured it out myself. I don't think of it as a hobby. For some reason, I react to that word when it comes to quilting. It just, it just, doesn't seem quite strong enough for the obsession that is mine. But I'm not quite sure where I fall on the art versus craft thing. I think some of this is, you know, my own definitions left over from childhood when craft bazaars were places where you would find bizarre crafts, (laughs) I guess, basically. Um, So even the word craft carries connotations to it for me that probably just are completely unfair. Um, But art also carries connotations for me. So I'm, I'm not sure where I settle on this, and I would invite you to become part of that conversation. It's really been very, very interesting. Sarah, the podcaster behind Stash Resolution, another great podcast, said some very nice things about this podcast in her last episode. Thank you. She also commented in Big Tent on episode 10, the one with Beth Davis, the appraiser, that she did find it really interesting and was now trying to talk her mother into taking some of the family quilts to an appraiser. Fantastic! I really do recommend that everyone consider if there are quilts, antique or contemporary, that should be appraised. Not only is it a good idea for insurance purposes, but it does document those quilts for the future. So do your family a favor and get them appraised. I do also want to say thank you to those of you who have now left comments and reviews on iTunes for this podcast. Thanks so much, and I encourage more. It really does help other people see if this is a podcast they would like or not. Um, All of us podcasters who are up on iTunes ask you the same favor. It really does help. So thanks a lot for those of you who have done so, and I look forward to reading more. Now, speaking of podcasts and listeners and neat new stuff going on, there is a brand spanking new quilty podcast on the scene that you must check out. Do y'all remember Frances? This is the poor woman that I harangued mercilessly about sending me photos of her garage floor quilt. Well, I'm thrilled to say that she has started her own podcast named The Off-Kilter Quilt. I thoroughly enjoy it. Frances, can you come to my house and read me a bedtime story? Frances has a fantastic way with words, and her voice and her accent are just lovely. 
as they say, Francis, you could read a phone book and make it sound good. So I highly recommend Francis's podcast, The Off-Kilter Quilt. You can find it at Podbean at http colon slashy slashy offkilterquilt.podbean.com or at iTunes. But, Francis, you just have to promise me that you won't get so taken up with your new podcast that you forget to keep up the conversation with me. I enjoy your comments and emails, and I think I'd probably go through DTs or something if they suddenly disappeared. All right, everybody, remember that you can leave comments on the show blog for this podcast at http colon slashy slashy quilter.podbean.com, or you can leave comments on my general quilting blog at quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com. doesn't really matter which. Each blog has links to the other, so if you can only rem- remember one of those web addresses, you're good to go. You can also email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow me on Twitter at sandyquilts still with a Y and a Z, and also, I will follow you. And you can like our Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook. Please do. It's something like we have to get at least 25 fans to a page before it's visible. And last time I checked, I was only at 20. So if you're on Facebook, try to do a search for it, see if you can find it. Uh, if not, let me know, and I uh, tell me who, what your name is so that I can friend you and then send you the link. It would be a little complex. But anyway, uh, there is a Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook, so try to find it and like it. And finally, join the Big Tent Quiltcast Supergroup, and from there, the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup. Or you can shine a big spotlight with a silhouette of a quilt block in the night sky and call me on the red bat phone. Or whatever. Don't forget about the creativity challenge. You can get details about it at either the show notes or the blog. Now, pod quilters, on to episode 11, in which we get colorful. Francis, this one's for you. So, I was one of those kids that was more excited about getting that brand new box of crayons with all those sharp, pointy tips and everything in order than I was actually using the crayons. I enjoyed coloring. I did a lot of coloring. That's actually how I knew I was probably eventually destined to be a quilter because I used to color a lot of geometric design coloring books in college as my stress reduction technique. But I just loved opening up that brand new box of crayons. There is something about color that just evokes a response in us. In all of us, we we find ourselves reacting sometimes strongly either liking or disliking colors or color combinations. We know for a fact that that what is beautiful to one person may be anathema to someone else. So color is a deeply, deeply personal thing. Um, What I'm going to be doing in this episode is I'm going to be talking about a little bit about color theory. I'm going to give you a little bit of work on the the color wheel. Um, And then I'm just going to tell you about some places to get color inspiration, that sort of thing. Uh, But really, honestly, there's nobody who can tell you what colors to choose for your quilt. It is deeply, deeply personal. And we will see that as we move along. There is a conversation thread in Big Tent, which was started by another podcaster, and I'm sorry, at the moment I really don't remember which podcaster it was, Um, and I also don't want to give you any details since it's her conversation to share, but the conversation is around what your favorite colors are and whether there are any you stay away from. I had to think about it. I don't know that I actually joined in the conversation. I, I read everybody else's comments, but as I thought about it, I realized there really aren't any colors that I absolutely stay away from as a rule. If it works in a quilt, I'll use it. As for favorite colors, yeah, there's definitely colors I love. There's definitely colors I tend to gravitate towards more quickly than others. Um, But I actually found out something about myself as I was getting ready for this episode, and it has less to do with the colors I choose than the way that I put them together. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Here's a little bit of color theory to begin with. You might want to get out a notebook and take notes. <laughs> okay, we'll start out with a glossary of terms. And and first of all, to let you know, um, I'm going to be referring to your chosen color, and that's just the main color you want to play with. That color might come from a focused fabric, you might be trying to match a room, or you may just decide today is purple day, whatever. So that's your chosen color. A tint is, if a color is made lighter by adding white, it's a tint. T-I-N-T, okay? You take your chosen color, you add white, that new color becomes a tint of your chosen color. In the same manner, if you take that chosen color and you add black to it and make that color darker, that new color then becomes a shade. 
Okay, that's easy to remember because you stand in the shade. You stand where it's a little bit darker than it is under the sun. So shades are when a color is made darker by adding black. Tints are where a color is made lighter by adding white. And then a tone is if gray is added. Okay, so you've chosen color. If you add some gray to it, then you're going to get a tone of that color. Do any of those things really matter to anybody other than an art teacher? Not sure, but I figured I'd throw them in there since they have to do with colors. All right, tints, white, shades, black, tones, gray. Now, color schemes. This is where you get out your color wheel. All right, color wheels are actually extremely useful things to have around the house. Um, I'll be sharing with you some that you can get your hands on a little bit later. Be aware that there are a variety of color wheels. They all have the same colors in them. It's just how many times they get divided up. The basic color wheel that you work with in elementary school, I think, only has six colors. It has your three primaries and your three secondaries. You might have a few more. You might get the three tertiaries as there in there as well. Um, real official color wheels that are used by artists and designers, etc., have a whole boatload of divisions in them. Those little slices of pie get narrower and narrower and, and more and more well-defined. So you decide which kind of color wheel works for you. So here's, here's how the color schemes get defined. First of all, monochromatic. Okay, monochromatic means a single color, your chosen color. But your chosen color with all of its tints, shades, and tones. This is where those definitions do become important. So if you decided today was Purple Day, you would do a quilt that would be purple with all purple, ranging from the very pastel purple to very bright to dark to light. Okay, it, You would have all of those ranges of purple but it would still be that same purple. You would just be adding white or adding black or adding gray. Okay, that's monochromatic. Complementary, and this is complementary with an E, not complementary with an I. Complementary with an I is being very nice. Complementary with an E is actually being contrary in a way. All right, complementary with an E, that's where you have your chosen color and you go directly across opposite it on the color wheel. Okay, so if you have your purple day, purple quilt, yellow would be the opposite. It would be its complementary color. Okay, so that kind of a quilt would be yellow and purple. You might think immediately, oh my gosh, that would be garish, um, but you have to picture it as it might get toned down, perhaps with some white or some sort of neutral, um, but basically you're looking at those two opposite colors, purple and yellow. Okay, the third color scheme is analogous. An analogous color scheme is one where you have your chosen color and then you also use one, two, or maybe even three neighboring colors from each side of your selected color. Okay, so again, picture that color wheel. Let's start with yellow this time. If you decide you're going to do an analogous quilt, you would start with yellow and then you might pick up chartreuse, which is a yellow-green, that's a little more yellow than green. And you might go one step further and pick up a yellow-green, which is even more of a which is more of an even mix between yellow and green. And then you might also go to the other side of that yellow. You might go with a golden yellow, which is yellow with a little orange mixed in. And maybe even a little further to go to like a yellow-orange. So, you know, again, you get what I'm saying here. Analogous is where you're kind of all in one group, all sitting right next to each other on that color wheel. Now we're going to start getting a little more um, progressively complicated. The next one is split complementary. And again, complement with an E. Split complementary. This is where you have a combo package of the complementary and analogous schemes. So you start with your chosen color, and then you go opposite it on the color wheel. But then you also use the colors immediately on the sides of one of those two colors. So go back to our yellow and purple example, you could have a yellow quilt that uses purple plus either the yellow greens or the yellow oranges or yellow, purple, and purple pinks or purple blues. Okay, it depends on which side you want to work with. So you've got your two complementary colors, the two colors that are opposite each other on the color wheel, and then one of those colors you also go analogous, and that's your split complementary scheme.
And then finally there's triadic. And triadic, as it sounds like, the tri is three. That's your chosen color. And then it's triadic partners, which each lie an equal distance from each other on the color wheel. This is where you have three spokes equally apart. So you divide your pie, your pie of the color wheel, into three equal parts. The triadic will be those colors in the lines you just drew. So yellow's triadic partners would be turquoise and magenta, or red and blue, depending on how many little wedges are in your color wheel. Again, this all depends on what color wheel you're using. The more slices of the pie, the more specific and nuanced the colors will be. Okay, So those are your color schemes. Again, monochromatic, complementary, analogous, split complementary, and triadic. Now, here's the thing. Go with your gut. Okay, color is a very, very personal thing. We've already talked about that. What someone else loves may not be what you love. I believe it was Ginny Beyer who told the story about coloring when she was in elementary school and her teacher came and said, you can't use that color anymore. And she was devastated because that was her favorite color. Color is a personal thing. Your color story expresses something to you, not to anybody else. So these kinds of talk about, you know, shades and tones and tints and color schemes are all ways to help you work with color to the best way possible, but it's not necessarily restrictive rules. The whole color wheel is open to you. All right, you can do whatever you want to. That being said, it is helpful to know this stuff and it's helpful to work on this stuff. And I'll share a little bit more about my own personal thing with that later. But remember, color is a personal thing. You will tend to find yourself maybe gravitating towards certain colors, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't use all colors in your quilts. I think most quilters, once they've been doing it for a while, if you only ever use the same colors, you would bore yourself to tears. So I think most of us just love color for color's sake. Um, there are sometimes people who say, oh, I would never use thus and so a color in a quilt. Well, I would say, how do you know that's not the best color for that quilt? You, you need to open yourself up to any possibilities. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to use make an entire quilt out of just that color. You don't necessarily have to do that to yourself if it really turns your stomach. But you may find that that one color is exactly the pop that some quilt absolutely needs. You will also perhaps find that certain colors have certain psychological triggers for you. Um, maybe there's certain colors that remind you of certain people. Maybe certain people wore clothes in particular kinds of colors or or just um, exude a certain colorness. Uh, I mean, I have to say, and I don't think my mother-in-law listens to this podcast episode. For some reason, whenever I think of my mother-in-law, I think of the color yellow. It's just she's a very bright, sunny person, and, and that's just the color that's just latched in my head to her. So those are the kind of color associations we all have and you use those to help guide you when you're making your quilts. Some other little tips and tricks about color. Use the fabrics themselves as your cues. I believe I said in a previous episode, I'm sorry I'm forgetting at this point what I've said and what I haven't, but I know there's a lot of people who downplay the idea of using a bunch of coordinates from a line or buying a kit and using kits and or, you know, whatever, relying too much on fabric manufacturers and quilt shop owners to tell you what fabrics to use in your quilt. And, you know, to a certain extent, I agree with that if that's all you were ever doing. But I do think there's a lot of benefit to maybe starting out that way or to periodically doing it because you can learn a lot from seeing how other people combine colors. Um, using all the coordinates from a line or, or using only exclusively coordinates from a line without putting in your own fabrics um, is certainly an easier way to go about it. It takes some of the decision-making process out of it for you, but it does also show you, hey, there's a reason why this designer chose these particular colorways to work together. What can I learn from that? So that even if you don't necessarily even buy that set of coordinates, spend some time analyzing them when you're in the quilt store and seeing what the color combinations are. And then you can maybe replicate that particular set of color combinations or learn something from it or take out your little color wheel and figure out whether it's an analogous or split complementary color scheme or whatever and, and just really start learning from that. 
You can also, um, the way I think a lot of quilters go is you choose a focus fabric and you pull colors from it. Uh, you don't even necessarily have to end up using that focus fabric in your ultimate quilt. Just use it as the thing that then guides you in, in choosing your colors. And if you really want to be exact about this, most um, fabrics, probably all, I don't know that I've ever really noticed particularly, have those little dots along the selvage that tell you exactly what colors are being used in that quilt. I've never actually had to use little dots. It's always pretty obvious to me from the fabric itself what the color is. Um, but sometimes if there's a lot of pattern, it helps to look at those dots to say, oh, hey, I hadn't really noticed that that green was in there until you look at the dot and then you look in the green and it maybe shows up in a few leaves or something. So use those um, dots along the selvage as well. So that's a way to use fabrics as your cues, using coordinates, using fabric packs, kits, and then choosing a focus fabric and pulling the colors from it. Another thing that um, somewhere along the way, and I don't really remember who told me this, where I picked this up, probably was my mother. I don't really remember for sure. Uh, but they t taught me in choosing colors to always find a surprise color. In other words, um, you choose all of the colors for your quilt and you look at them laid out in front of you, and then you find one more color that would be unexpected, and you throw it in there. Um, for me, that always tends to be whatever is opposite the main color on the color wheel. So I'll look at all the colors I have in front of me, the fabrics, I'll look and see if there, is there a dominant color here, and then I'll hop across the color wheel and see if I can pull a fabric from that opposite side. Obviously, that would only work if I was doing like a analogous or something like that, where I didn't already have the opposite in there, but that's a way to kind of to throw it off, to make it a little bit more unexpected. I think that's a good way to go. It doesn't necessarily always have to be opposite the main color, but definitely once you've got all your fabrics out in front of you, look and see if it's lively enough, if there's enough energy, enough vibrancy there. And if there's not, um, give a shot at going across the color wheel from whatever the dominant color is and see if that helps. Or pull something that's a shade or a tint or a tone. <laughs> I'm going to try to use those words because they're not ones I typically refer to. Um, so those are a couple of things you can do to also pull out colors for your quilts. Okay, so there are a bunch of tools out there to help you choose colors before you even step foot in the fabric store. First of all, yeah, a color wheel. Okay, you can get color wheels off the internet. You can print them. Just Google color wheel and you'll come up with a dozen of them at least. Um, there are also quilters color wheels and I'm going to give you some information about one of those that's particularly helpful in a minute. Um, another way you can look at choosing colors is go to a paint store or the paint section in a big box store and look at their paint chips. Companies that develop paints have brochures and such that they'll do different color schemes. Use those and look at those. Uh, you can also of course look at gardens and we've talked about this before. Look at your favorite flowers. Where why are those flowers your favorite? Pull colors from there. Some flowers, um, the whole bloom is a solid color. Other flowers are sort of a blend of colors in one blossom. Use that as inspiration. There's also a couple that you can uh, look at that actually will pull up color schemes for you. And I do a little bit of uh, graphic designing for work. I'm not a graphic designer. I play one on TV. Um, because I'm not a graphic designer, I do rely on other tools very helpfully uh, to help me do projects. There is an online color wheel called colorschemer.com. Uh, you can actually download a software from there for $50 if you want to get really funky with it. I've been using the online freebie version for a while. I haven't needed to do the $50 version. Uh, what it is, again, www.colorschemer.com. It has a place where you just click on a one color and it brings up all sorts of colors that'll work in a variety of ways with that color. It'll give you a little color scheme um, at the top of the page. You can also go in there and look for a gallery online of color schemes that others have come up with. You can just scroll through those to find some great color schemes. Choose one you like. Uh, you can print it off and then start working it into fabric reality. Go to www.colorschemer, that's C-O-L-O-R-S-C-H-E-M-E-R.com, and you'll come up with this online thing. It's, it's really kind of fun to play with. Again, let's go back to color theory and whether or not there's colors that we use and colors that we don't use. I, again, I started out 
approaching this whole episode saying, well, there's really no colors I don't use. And that's true. If you look at my uh, stash, I've really got, you know, I've got more of some colors than others. I don't have a lot of orange in my stash because I don't naturally buy orange, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't decide I wanted to use orange in a quilt. Orange has its place. Um, And it would be a perfect counterbalance and not just for Halloween quilts. In any case, there's very few colors I just wouldn't use, if any. But what I did decide to do as I was working on this episode, I thought, well, what if it's not colors so much, but what if it's particular color schemes that I tend to fall into? So I actually went through and I analyzed some of my recent quilt projects to see what sort of color combinations I used. Um, I looked at a couple of bed quilts. I looked at some wall hangings, some recent projects, some older projects. Some of them it's very difficult to tell because they're really pretty scrappy. But what I did was I tried to remember what was my primary color that I had in my head as I was working with these scraps, or what now seems to be the dominant colors in this scrap quilt. Because we will tend to, no matter how random we make something, I suspect that in a lot of quilts certain colors will come to the fore somehow. In any case, uh, as I analyzed my own projects, I realized I'm a split complementary kind of girl. And here I'd always assumed I was a triadic. Go figure. Anyway, I think I know why that happens. Remember how I said somewhere along the way that someone had told me to use a surprise color? What I tend to do is I pick out a color scheme for a quilt, and then I hop directly across the color wheel from that dominant color to figure out what the surprise color is going to be. What I didn't realize as I was doing that is that I was generally choosing analogous color schemes to begin with. And remember, analogous are the ones where the colors lay next to each other on the color wheel. So when I use that type of method to come up with my surprise colors, I'm going to tend to end up with a split complementary quilt. And that's really mostly what I've got. You wouldn't necessarily know what to look at it because they're all different colors. And unless you're, you know, really um, attuned to the whole color wheel thing and that's just the way you think, you wouldn't notice that if you looked at all my quilts laying side by side. You just see them all in these different colors. But once you analyze them, you realize, wow, you know, there's kind of a trend here. So what this makes me think as I'm, you know, starting to make plans for my next big project, it's probably not so much a matter of switching out which colors I'm going to use in the future as it is uh, working on what kinds of color combinations or color schemes I'm going to choose to do in order to challenge myself you know, my next project really should be anything but a split complementary. So I'd encourage you to do the same thing with your quilts. Even if you're somebody that says, oh, I don't use the same colors. Look at all the quilts you've done recently, you know, within the last couple of years, if you've got them or if you can remember what colors you used, and plot those color schemes out on a color wheel and see if you've tended towards any particular color schemes more than others. Or, you know, if you've done a lot of different color schemes, is there some color scheme you've never done? And maybe that's the one you need to pick up on and try to do next. All right, there are also a ton of books, as you might expect, on color use in quilts. There are a lot of people out there that really struggle with their own sense of confidence in choosing colors. And so, uh, you know, the quilt world has responded, and there's a boatload of books out there on how to use color in quilts. If you just Google quilts color or any variation thereof, or if you go to Amazon and type in color quilts, you'll come up with a lot. The first one, though, I did want to mention is the three-in-one color tool, and I did actually use that to go through and analyze what um, color schemes I was tending to use as I was prepping for this episode. So that one I can say I have actually used, and I know other quilters in my guild have used it. It's a very well-known tool. Um, The three-in-one color tool is by Joan Wilfram. It includes a color guide, value finder, fabric preview windows. Uh, With the color guide, you find the color of your focus fabric on one of the swatches, and then the back side of the page gives you some potential color schemes based on the color wheel. It does have, you know, it it also starts out in the beginning with all the descriptions of the different types of things, uh, color schemes that I began this episode with. So that's a very helpful thing. Um, Again, you can find it on Amazon. A lot of quilt shops carry it. It's been around for a few years now. So definitely, if you're wanting to challenge yourself in colors, if you want to push yourself to go beyond just choosing a focus fabric and going from there, this would be an excellent tool to have. A book you might want to look at is Color Play, Easy Steps to Imaginative Color in Quilts, also by Joan Wolfram. I saw her talk about this book on a show. I think it was probably Alex Anderson's uh, quilt show back in the day. She's the one that talks about pulling colors from nature. 
uh, if you remember in a previous episode, I talked about taking photographs and pulling ideas for quilts out of those photographs. I think she was the first person that I really heard talk about doing that. And that always stuck in my head. So although I've never used that book, I've certainly used her methods. Uh, and again, Joan Wolfram is the same person who does the three-in-one color tool. So the two of those books, to, the, or the book and the tool together would probably be a helpful combination to have. Another book, I don't own this book. I've taken it out of the library a few different times. Um, it's definitely older. I believe it's actually out of print now, is Ginny Byers' Color Confidence for Quilters. Um, this is sort of one of those considered the Bible on color uh, in quilting. And Ginny Byer obviously makes just gorgeous, gorgeous quilts. In any case, in this book, she actually gives you some directions on how to make a color wheel out of fabric. And she apparently back in the day used to do classes with this, where the first couple of classes you would just be creating this color wheel made actually from fabric. Uh, the book itself is not really readily available anymore because it is a bo older book. My public library carries it. On the other hand, one of our Quilt Guild members is in acquisitions in the library, so that might be why we have a particularly good quilt section in our library. Uh, but you might want to check yours. Uh, I did a quick check on Amazon, and they only have used books, and they were charging about 100 bucks for them, so I don't know that that's the route you want to go uh, but do check your library and ask friends and check out guild um, libraries etc and again a boatload of other books out there those are just the three that I happen to have some familiarity with and know can be very very useful so don't be afraid of color color can be your best friend uh, there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of in color if you put two colors together and you like them who's to tell you different Nobody else should ever come up to you and say, oh, I'd never use those two colors together, because if they do, they're just being mean. And you can tell them, I said that. <laughs> I, I don't have a whole lot of patience for quilt police, as most of us have talked about at one time or another. But again, just remember, colors are evocative. They will remind you of certain things. They will bring certain feelings or memories back to you. Run with that. You know, next time you're looking at a stash, think about, I want to recapture how I felt on that summer vacation when I was 10, <laughs> and pull fabrics that just remind you of that. Or just go out and look in your garden and choose a flower and use that as inspiration. Or like I said, you know, if you really want to get scientific about it, using the color wheel can be an awful lot of fun. It can really push you to use colors you may not have normally chosen uh, before. And do analyze your quilts. See if you tend to fall into patterns. Again, even if you can honestly say, hey, I don't use any particular kind uh, colors more than any other particular colors, you may find yourself falling into trends of certain types of color schemes. So look for that and see if you can challenge yourself to do something a little different next time. And I promise you, I'm doing the same thing. Now that I found out how split complementary I am, <laughs> I want to try to break out of that rut and try to do something a little bit different. And go out and buy yourself a new box of crayons. So until next time, pod quilters, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 